0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry, and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: The thing is, I always thought that I was like money-driven, but it turns out I'm not at all. Like I don't care. I don't care at all about making a load of money. I care about growing something that's going to be the best it can be.
0: Today, I'm talking to Rob Hurlston. Rob is the principal and chief engineer at Fidelis Engineering Associates and based in Michigan. Rob lives in Canton, Michigan, in the US with his wife, Jess, and one-year-old son, Rory, and a dog called Boone. And in his free time, what free time he has, he likes to play golf. So welcome, Rob. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining me.
1: You too, Andrew. It's been uh, too long.
0: It has. Well, let's have a good chat. So taking your way back, you grew up in Staley Bridge near Manchester in the northwest of England and went to West Hill School. Tell us about what your family life was like when you were young and what were you like as a lad?
1: uh well I wasn't particularly super excited about school (laughs) (laughs) I um I I was in all top classes at school but I was never really particularly excited by it or you know it's more of a formality to go there um I was much more interested in being outside like I had awesome parents we were always like hiking and doing fun stuff like that outside um we used to go on these canvas holidays where we'd go all around europe and i feel like i learned a lot more doing that than i was ever really learning at school but i did pretty well still uh anyway
0: yeah
1: yeah and tell us about tell us about your grandfather
0: and these these locomotives he was making in his garage and and what you used to do with that
1: yeah so he used to build to scale steam locomotives so so they'd run on you know uh, coal and water and we'd go down to the uh, railway on the weekend and I can remember we would get the thing going, we'd get the fire burning, we'd get it on the track and then I can just remember drinking really uh, sweet tea. (laughs) So (laughs) probably had too many sugars because, you know, when you're like eight years old or whatever, you'll have as many sugars as they'll let you put in there. So that's one thing I remember about that um, experience. But yeah, that probably was my first Uh, foray into engineering so he was he was building these things from scratch in his shed so he would be buying like you know steel and that's about it and milling it all and everything was steel you know plate and I guess bars
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know we we used to take we used to take the kids uh probably to the same place where where your grandfather worked it was absolutely fantastic because there'd be all the blokes there with grease up to their elbows and all of that you know working and probably some girls as well actually to be fair but there was a lot of tea drinking as well and chatting around the place it was a good (laughs) social center you know
1: yeah 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 he loved that and he'd be there and I can remember my gran had a little like um I don't know what it was like a little radio that could go to the garage and she'd be like right come on dinner's ready (laughs) he'd just be in there as much as it could be
0: brilliant brilliant so then so then at school you 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 did well uh, you were saying, but it didn't really connect with you from, from from what you said. You didn't really enjoy it.
1: I enjoyed some subjects, so I always was drawn towards uh, maths and sciences. Um, but, yeah, I, I was there because I had to be there. I was never particularly there because I wanted to be there. I always felt like it was a bit, um, I don't know, it was just a bit of a formality to show up do it and go home never really wanted to do my homework at home I'd always figure out a way to just get it done 10 minutes before the class in the music room or whatever Um, but interestingly for someone who didn't love it that much I did never miss a single day so I got a certificate at the end like a platinum certificate five years no days off so I must have liked it a little bit
0: (laughs) There must have been something there. So so when you did your sort of GCSEs or whatever, did you think that you would leave school at that point or was it always you were going to stay on and do A-levels?
1: I was always going to stay on and do A-levels. Um, I remember I had three teachers at school that I liked. Mrs Higginson did, was my maths teacher. Miss Jed was science. I think she was biology. And then Mr Hotwood was physics. And so those guys like basically made sure that I was going to be doing well enough to go to A-levels and I, I went to Ashton Sixth Form College and did maths, physics, chemistry and biology. So I was pretty much straight into getting rid of all the other subjects like the humanities and whatnot. I kind of wanted to focus down a little bit into um, into the, I guess, pre-engineering stuff, although I didn't know that at the time. I didn't really think that's why.
0: And Did you find college different from school?
1: A bit. I found I, I was starting to certainly get more independent and be going doing more like things outside of, you know, school. Um, so I was changing as a person for sure. Um, I was actually pretty good at cricket. So I was playing to a really high level of cricket. So we'd be playing against guys, you know, that were on the books at Lancashire or whatever. And then we'd go and you know, watch him on a 2020 on a weeknight and it'd be like the same guys I played against on the weekend. So, you know, I got that guy out on the weekend and then now, you know, I'm watching him in front of thousands of people. So um, still wasn't super into school, but I was, uh, again, I did okay, not great, but I just kind of got my way through it. Sounds to me like you had quite a healthy balance actually between
0: your, your, your school and um, enjoying life outside and relaxing and doing other
1: things. I probably did yeah I probably did have a pretty good balance about it I just didn't I wasn't there was something there was not really any excitement to do really well like I didn't I wasn't really trying particularly hard and I just did okay.
0: And so when you were thinking about after school, again, was there always a question of whether you'd go on to higher education or you'd go out to work straight away or was it always
1: university for you? I was always going to go to university, but I probably at the time didn't know why. I just it was just I never had a doubt that I was going to go to university. Um, I didn't have a, some sort of a life path or anything like that that I wanted to follow. But that was definitely The next thing um, and I went for physics at at Manchester and I had a few other universities that called me actually like Salford and a few others said you know you should apply to us we'll we'll let you in I was like no I want to go to Manchester it was you missed at the time actually not Manchester they merged after I joined but so I missed out on physics by I honestly think out of 1800 marks in my A-levels I think it ended up being about like 15 marks or something like that so I ended up with two grades lower than I needed to have to do physics yes yes and how did that how did that feel when you got that result and it was pretty upsetting at the time uh, yeah for sure it was like deflating um and I was like oh, what am I going to do now because I didn't really have a backup plan I didn't want to go to I, I, I think I, ra- I wanted to go to UMIS more than I wanted to do physics um, my granddad had done some stuff with the UMIS as well back in the day. So maybe there's a little bit of a connection there as well to like kind of following its footsteps in some way or other.
0: Yeah, yeah. So your story was then very similar to mine because I didn't get the grades to do physics, although you were closer than me, I have to say. <laughs> so they offered you material
1: science? Yeah, I went through clearing and that was a blessing in disguise for sure.
0: Go on, tell, tell me why. Why was
1: that a blessing in disguise? After a short time at university, I certainly realized, like, I'm not a maths-based thinker. (laughs) I'm more of a conceptual thinker. So, and I know you said the same thing, which is a little weird, but I visualize the way things work much better than I can kind of put them down on paper in math. And, of course, like, you know... to do a certain level of education, you have to have some math skills. So I'm not like a dummy at math, but I don't naturally see it like other people do. I know some of my friends can like read math as if it's words. They can see what is, it is doing as it's written down. I'm not like that, but I can feel like I can visualize dislocation motion or you know how creep might work and why a single crystal alloy you know, is good for that and that kind of thing. I did that better so I found that out pretty quickly.
0: That's really interesting isn't it and that's what I loved about material science as well because it was partly hands-on in other words you're cutting bits of metal and you're looking at them under the microscope and you can see things but then you can sort of imagine in your mind's eye what's happening in the material the microstructure when it's under stress or load or whatever's happening to it.
1: Yeah that's exactly it and I really I really kind of grabbed onto that part of it and enjoyed it for the first time. Really. I enjoyed my education. Uh, I love living in Manchester. You know, it was like, it became my city. Cause even though I was from Staley bridge, which is like, t- say 10 miles away, I didn't go to Manchester that much. Um, really when I was a kid occasionally just for whatever a day out, but yeah, I really made Manchester my home over those first couple of years and just loved it. I, I loved the university environment. I love the fact that you didn't have to be there. So the people that did well were the people that wanted to be there. And I loved the fact that uh, the professors or the, the lecturers were teaching you and then examining you at the same time. So they could get a really solid sense of your understanding of the subject matter more than I felt like they did at GCSE A-level, where it felt a bit more like... Um, just looking for keywords and answers basically is how I felt like they examined that stuff Mm. I didn't feel like they were teaching it you to teach it yeah I felt like they were teaching it you to pass a test at the end
0: I always feel the difference is a little bit like at school those exams are kind of testing your knowledge if you know what I mean whereas at university they start to test your understanding and so you're not using somebody else's words you're using your own words to describe how you understand something
1: for sure yeah and the person who taught it you of course knows what's going on and they're reading it and they're saying yeah Rob, i can tell rob gets this and that's where i started to go from just an average student to you know i ended up finishing top of my whole class at at my at my master's so and yeah I enjoyed it more that's why (laughs) yeah yeah so
0: so how do you think you sort of changed the person or or what do you think you were learning about yourself in terms of maybe what you enjoyed or what you were particularly good at
1: I think um, I started to become more self-motivated for sure so you know I went to school because I had to go to school you didn't have to go to university if you didn't feel like going you just didn't you could just not go and I I um, I enjoyed that part of it I enjoyed the part that like this is on you now this isn't on someone else telling you what you have to do you know this is this is uh, the start of your career and if you really want to do it you can do it but if you don't you know you can just go and do something else and um, so there's a lot more kind of self-discipline I suppose and you learning that along the way, um, wasn't ever that difficult for me. But it certainly became obvious that that was the case, because a lot of people dropped out of that course very, very quickly. I think they purposefully made it difficult in the first, probably, semester or two semesters um, to make to weed people out. There was a lot of things like crystallography and stuff, the way you're like mind-blown kind of thing, when you've never seen anything like that before. And so I really, uh, I really started to sink my teeth into it a little bit.
0: That's really good. That, that self-motivation thing is so important, isn't it? So then let, let's sort of talk about what happened next. So you get to the end, you've got your master's. So now you're looking for work or what you are you going to do next?
1: So going back a little bit, I had the opportunity to do the with industrial experience master's. So that meant I had to go to interviews after second year of university um, and I went to like a handful of places, Magnesium Electron, I went to Alcoa, and I think there was two or three other places I went to, but one of them was Circo Assurance, as it was called then. And uh, I really fancied that from the minute I saw it kind of on the list of companies that might accept experience or uh, year, year out people. And so I went and I interviewed with John Sharples and Chris Waits at the time it was, And I kind of went around, I was like, yeah, I like this. I like the, you know, the feel of it. And I like the, I always, I think I always knew I was going to be not an academic. So that was like a really good way to find out how that was going to go. And so I had, I had the interview, thought it went really well, never heard back. And I was like, Oh no, I didn't get it. That's the one I wanted. And then I got a call from HR, you know, months later saying hey you know we're just processing your paperwork and blah blah, blah. and I got hold on a minute I, no one's even told me I've got the job yet and they said well we got the job so congratulations and you know and so then it went to me starting there in uh t- two years after I started my master's um so just tell us for, for those who haven't
0: heard of Serco Assurance they are now part of Jacobs aren't they um, just just explain some of the sort of work that they they, they do there
1: yeah so I've, I've been following the change of name since I left there and it's been a handful of them and it came from of course UKAA where you worked so we were doing consulting in the nuclear industry so you know um, kind of guiding a lot of the rules for um, structural integrity of nuclear plant uh, throughout Europe um, both civil and defense, we were doing a bit of both. And so I kind of went there and I thought, yeah, this is, it sounds cool to tell your friends that you're working nuclear, right? And um, so I was super excited to get that job and I loved the whole experience. So when I got there, you know, I was like playing football at lunchtime and going to the Christmas party and all. I got right into the culture of being in a, a real company And before that, I'd only really ever had jobs like working behind the bar and stuff, you know, kind of typical stuff that kids do. So that was my first ever experience of like a real job. And I just loved it. And I did a a project during that time with James Marrow. And I did really well in that too. And it really kind of got my juices flowing for that kind of like industrially based research. So when I finished that, I kind of went to John Sharples' office and I said, hey, you know, I've got to do a final year project for my master's. And, yeah, you know, do you think Circo might pay for it? And I realized, like, now that was so cheeky. But he said, oh, I don't think so. And then he came back to my desk a couple of days later. And he's like, yeah, I've got you some money for that thing. And I was like, wow. So it turns out you ask people uh, for things. Sometimes it works out. <laughs> so what, what ideas had you got about what to do next? So I think during that time, I'd been involved with Circo at that point for two years, either directly or indirectly. And I think they might have been interested in offering me a job. But I'd heard about this idea of this NGD, which is a professionally um, kind of driven doctorate. So it was derived because I think companies were not super excited about getting people that were really academic, but had no real like, professional development or professional skills. And so I thought, yeah, I want a piece of that. Um, and I talked to you, and probably a few other people, probably John Sharples. And I, I don't think Circo was really offering that or anything at the time. I said, "Can, can we, can we get one of these at Circo so I can do it?" And um, so in boosted the end, by we boosted to,
0: by your cheekiness on yeah. <laughs> the Master's project paid for yeah. by them, you thought you'd take it to the next level.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, and. Um, It worked out. So I managed to get on uh, an NGD looking at residual stresses in welds, in uh, pressure vessels. So that's what the PhD was on. And that's kind of the amount of definition that it had. And that did come back to bite me a bit in the end. So when we get on to that part (laughs) well
0: because each of these stages you know we were saying from school it's also all about the knowledge you can cram in and using the right words to answer questions Uh, when you went into your sort of undergraduates it was about demonstrating your understanding a bit more you know so maybe feeding back how you saw things and the, the lecturers and that who were examining you and teaching you you know could get whether you you understood what they were talking about the master's is taking it to the next level where you're starting to push some boundaries of knowledge. So you're, you're doing work where you don't necessarily know what the right answer is yet. But then yep. the NGD takes it to a stage further where you might get a project title <laughs> <laughs> and not a lot else. So, how, I mean, how did you approach that? Because it's almost like having not quite a blank sheet of paper, but maybe a blank sheet of paper with a title at the top.
1: <laughs> it was like that. And um, I don't know, maybe uh, in the future ones that you you started to do in the end, you might have maybe gone through a little bit more, um, given the guys a bit more of an idea. I think we were kind of learning as we were going along since none of us, I don't know if any of us had really been in this position before, but yeah, it, it was tricky. The nice thing was because it was had all this professional development and this like little mini MBA it was called a PG diploma. There was a lot of that from loaded. So I was doing a lot of that stuff anyway. And so it, it wasn't like I was missing out the P, the NGD is four years. So you do get that one extra year. And it was really the middle of the second year that we decided like, what is this research going to be on? So I was a little bit crammed in at the end, but um, it it wasn't too bad and like we we kind of really drilled down into exactly what questions we we're going to ask and then uh it's pretty daunting because you're like well I don't know anything about this currently so how am I supposed to push the boundaries of something you know I don't know anything about it but I loved it because I love a challenge like that yeah
0: that's good now I've got I've got to ask you you know at, at this time uh and as you're getting through this this NGD and you know backloaded and you're writing it all that all the rest, you're always going to go and, Go to the US.
1: Yeah, so I met my wife Jess um, during the second year of my P, uh, my PhD. I always call it a PhD now because no one in America knows what an PhD is. Um, so <laughs> that's why I keep saying PhD. But she, yeah, I met her, and we we were dating long distance that whole PhD, which was you probably thought I was crazy. I know her parents thought she was crazy, and probably my parents did too. It was it's a bit of a Bit of an odd choice but it worked out in the end great and we did that for four years and um so it was a lot of juggling kind of trying to keep a transatlantic relationship going and studying for a phd at the same time which i'm sure it annoyed you at some times but <laughs> <laughs> it worked out in the end I
0: remember being with you at a conference one of the pressure vessel and piping conferences and we went 10 pin bowling and Jess had come across and that was the first time we we saw you you two together
1: yeah yep we was nice because she was doing a PhD as well so we both you know had a bit more flexibility than you would probably have in, in a normal job and we wouldn't have been able to do it if we were doing normal jobs so it, it actually allowed us to keep it going
0: mm, mm, that's brilliant so tell so but at the end of the ngd you know how, what do you think you'd learned about yourself during those four years because it, it you know an ngd or a phd is is probably one of the biggest tests actually you know it's a testable of character as much as it is a test of science and engineering and and all of that
1: yeah that's exactly what i was going to say about it like the the real challenge it's a challenge of academic ability in a way but really I found it to be just a challenge of endurance and taking responsibility for, because it's like okay, you're, at, you're you're at university, okay, if you don't show up, whatever, you can still get by. If you if you're not doing the work in a PhD, like it's just you. <laughs> There's no one else involved, really. You, your supervisors might be saying, "Have you, you know, how are you going? <laughs> That's they'll help you out when you ask for the help, but they're not going to be, uh, telling you how to do it or anything like that at least certainly not the one I did and that helped me professionally probably more than anything else has I remember one time I came to your office and like we had some heat treatment of parts or something that needed to be done and I'm saying oh it's somebody else's fault you know that and you said listen to me <laughs> it's on you <laughs> don't say anything back just listen to me it, everything that you're doing in this PhD is on you and if it's going wrong it's on you and if when it's going well you know you take the plaudits and I went away and I was like god that Andrew Sherry I was so mad and then a few days later I was like I was right (laughs) and I got it sorted out and I carry that with me to this day that lesson like you know don't don't expect anyone else to be doing what you know really everything that you do everything that you want to achieve is going to be because of your own input it's kind of the locus of control thing external or internal
0: Mm. yeah 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 that was quite a tough thing for me to say i think looking back but i do remember in my phd um i'd done some done a piece of work and my supervisor said to me why did you do that right and i said because you told me to and he said that's not good enough And it was actually the same sort of point, you know, because in in, in that PhD, you're learning to take control and take responsibility. I think that's the point,
1: isn't it? It's the responsibility. It's That's what it is. There's no, like, backing away from it or getting out of it. Like, if you, you know, if you screwed up, then, you know, own it and fix it. But next time, don't. (laughs) Don't do that again. (laughs) You know, make sure that, make sure if you think something, you know, is going to be done make sure you know you're not relying on somebody else to to um you know to to do your because it was really my responsibility i'm not trying to say don't ever let people do work for you or whatever like that but it was my responsibility and you recognized that and needed pointing out to me (laughs) <laughs> so
0: um so you learned that and you got through it successfully which which, which was fantastic so so then what you know what were you thinking of doing you, you clearly wanted to go out into the, to the US to be together with Jess uh, and so how did your sort of career unfold
1: thereafter? It, I was super lucky because um when I finished you had a few postdoc things that were going on and I managed to kind of get a hold of one of those and it was um taking a bunch of research that had been done by many different people really in different departments of the university all engineering based and kind of collating them into um something that could be used in industry and so that was a really great project because i got to work with some of the like real big characters in the at least in the research side of the nuclear industry um, so we were leading like workshops with you know some of the real big players um and that was a good learning experience as well in terms of managing not just my own stuff but now I'm managing other people's work and um, that was that was great and so I did that for a little bit and then I was able to pick up a handful of other postdoc positions from you know you and a few other people at the university so when I was in the states I could do those and the reason for that is um my wife was doing a doctorate as well and we knew she would have to move two or three times she had to do she was doing psychology degree so we knew she had to go on an internship and that basically meant that I wouldn't I didn't really want to get a permanent position at any of those locations because I knew I was going to be moving in a, a year or less so I start I went moved to Indianapolis to start with and then we moved to um Appalachian State Boone North Carolina which was an awesome place to live. But again, not much engineering going on around there. And so it, that was really nice stopgap to have the uh, opportunity to do those um, short placements. And we we did like building a video game of how a nuclear reactor works. That was really, really eye-opening for me because it it taught me like more about the operation. I realized at that point, I've done a whole PhD in nuclear and I don't really know what the operator is actually doing and so that was um a good a good little thing that i did as well and it was for a pwr which ended up being a bit of a boring video game because it's really hard to um throw one of those out of balance it turns out we should have probably done something more uh more unstable
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, I, I remember that. And in fact, if we if we can find, I think it's still online somewhere. If we can find it, we'll put the link into the, uh, the description <sighs> of the podcast so other people can have a go at, um, at running a reactor. Um, so you're doing all these sort of short term things and it was like mixed and varied. Um, but then you get to the point where you're sort of starting to settle down and um, Tell us what what, what you did next and and how did you end up doing what you're doing
1: now? Yeah, so we moved to Michigan, which is where my wife's from. And that was always kind of the plan. She was going to work for for the family business. So we knew we were coming back here. And so we got a house, we got a dog uh, and we named him Boone from where we were living previously. Um, And then I had to get a position. So I just applied around to lots of different places and I ended up at a company called k links in Ann Arbor that was using the Abacus software that i would used so much in my PhD um, on a consulting basis. So it, it was a really good position for me to like grow professionally in terms of seeing tons of different engineering problems in lots of different industries and really learning the ins and outs of what you can do with that software. You know, I was using it to model cracks in test specimens. That was it. So I was pretty good with the software, but hadn't seen the wide range of things that it can do. And so, yeah, that's that's where I that's where I ended up there, and I stayed there for a couple of years before being loaned out, if you will, to American Axle Manufacturing in Detroit.
0: Well, t- tell us in that that first sort of time, what do you think you were learning about yourself? Because now you're doing a wider range instead of going really deep into a very focused area of engineering which is how do cracks behave in residual stress fields and and all of that you're now starting to go much broader and applying the software to lots of different problems so did you find it easy to um, get into new areas to find out how to work make the software work for you for these different problems
1: yeah i really really enjoyed it Um, and I think the way I think it's, I'm all, like I kind of said at the earlier on, I'm, I'm excited to, to um, think about challenging problems, figure out what I might want to do with them uh, and then move on to the next kind of thing. So th- this was perfect for that kind of mindset that I was starting to realize that I had. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that position a lot. Oh,
0: that's good. And, and tell us a little bit about, um, because there's a the technical side of work, isn't there? Like the problem and how am I going to solve it? But then there's the other side of work, which is the people I'm working with or the customer. How do I link in with them? How do I understand their problem? You know, how do I listen? How do I deliver the project on time and cost and quality and all that sort of stuff? How did you find that other part of work, which isn't just the focused technical doing, but everything that's wrapped around it?
1: I think I enjoyed that almost more than doing the engineering, which is probably why I'm doing what I'm doing now. But um, I really enjoyed talking to customers, you know, trying to be on my own little way, like a customer centric person. So that whatever they need and that everyone's going to be different as well. Some people are going to be asking for really quite high end analysis and they're going to be very, very, essentially experts in the field as well and yet another guy you've got a guy that's saying I've invented this thing can you tell me if it's going to work and so you have to understand how to talk to those different people on a, on a completely different level really but you're doing the same job for both of them so I loved it and I love the I really enjoy the business aspect of it as well you know like understanding even in my PhD I enjoyed managing the budget and that kind of thing as well so not just doing the research but you know how is this helping and how is this going to be used in the future? All that kind of stuff. I I like to see it all the way from start to finish kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're the sort of person who's really
0: stimulated by new challenges, engaging with new people at different, in different ways at different levels and that you get a real buzz from that.
1: I do. I, I, yeah, I enjoy it a lot. Probably. I hate to say it, but probably more than the engineering part. I think the engineering part's great. I'm fascinated by it. But where I really get excited is kind of, you know, gr- growth and, um, you know, making sure people are happy with what we're doing and getting the results they want out of, you know, these analyses that we're doing, which, mm. you know, led me on to what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah. So let, let, let's let's move to that. So, so a couple of years ago, you took the brave sort of step to set up your own company, Fidelis Engineering. So why did you decide to take that step, first of all?
1: So, so um, what, my business partner, Bill Webster, I'd been working with him at k for the whole time I'd been there, which ended up being like four years. And we actually got put on secondment, if you will, together at American Axel. We did a lot of really good work there in um, kind of virtualizing a lot of their processes. But what it did mean is that we were together away from the rest of the company. And we started saying, you know, we can, we can do this. We can do a very similar thing, but there were certain things that we thought, you know, we could, we could, we could see things that we didn't particularly like about, you know, the way other people do business, not just one company, really, like everywhere we'd been, you know, we thought, you know, we love this idea of being this kind of customer centric growth oriented Business, so we thought. Right, you know, if we don't do it now, when we're leaving this two-year position, we, we'll go back and we'll be in our comfort zone again, and we'll never do it. So it was kind of a forced um, transition, anyway. And so we decided to make the most of it and do something that we knew both knew we already always wanted to do is to kind of lead and you know have that kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. So. <laughs> I ended up having a baby in November and quitting my job in December <laughs> and starting a new company from scratch.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. So that, that's a, that is a big decision at
0: that, that time of, uh, of life and everything. So tell us about your business partner. Are you different character? You must get on well and you must work well together. But are you similar characters or do you bring different things
1: to the company? Mm-hmm definitely bring different things so i don't know if you've ever done the myers briggs personality test but we're we're pretty fascinated by that and um you know he's very structured very he he ran the whole project management for that um uh american axle um, program and it was like multi-million dollar program and he just everything's all in perfectly laid out and all his reports everything's you know just He's very detail oriented and I'm the opposite I'm like the kind of thinker like let's do this let's do this uh, you know let's try all sorts of different things and I want to get things going before probably they're even really ready so the balance between those two like structured careful <laughs> and then me just like going off doing all sorts of stuff it's worked out really nicely yeah
0: it's such a great example this and one of the lessons you know to learn because that you know you realize that people think differently from you they've got different personalities. And this is why diversity is so important, not just diversity in like protected characteristics, you know, and all that, but diversity in character, the way you think, your background, you know, and so on. Because if you can work together and challenge each other and be open to that challenge and also adapt how you behave and, you know, and respond, and you will have had to have adapted how you, you know, you work, you know, to fit in, actually, you get a better outcome and it's a more balanced uh stronger outcome as a result of that those differences
1: yeah Yeah, i think it becomes more than the sum of the parts in that way um and yeah it's been it's been an interesting lesson and because we're interested in you know like we've done the sum of the psychological stuff so we're we are interested my wife's a psychologist so that helps too and she'll talk us through it all but um definitely like, I don't think we would be where we are without either one of our inputs. So totally. And so we're, we're um, you know, we're doing simulation um, consulting. We're looking at being higher end. So there's a lot of cheap resources in, you know, um, low cost countries, India and China and stuff like that. So our, our kind of business model is to take those more challenging engineering problems and work on those. We also spent a really long time becoming uh, a reseller of Abacus as well and all of so Simulia line of products. So um, that's a really big growth area in our business right now. Um, so if anyone in North America is currently looking for like simulation solutions, you know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a
0: link on the description as well. So what do you think? Rob what do you think sort of motivates you to do what you do where, where do you get your energy from
1: I get my energy and I, I wrote that little thing for a uh, Thrive Global which was a kind of a cool little thing that I did a few few months ago but I think I'm just excited about growing um, anything really so like if I'll play like a video game I'll always choose like the worst player or the worst team or whatever it is and I and my I get the enjoyment and the kind of energy from taking it from nothing to to something and that that's what I've found is really like what motivates me rather than any specific like part of that so if we have like a great week with our marketing or you know we have you know some growth in sales or whatever it is I'm super excited about it no matter how small that win is because it's better than it was the day before
0: oh that's good so it's it's more than um you know it can be the money the sales side of things but it can also be maybe expanding customers or it can be solving a challenging problem and so you can look back over a week and, and go we're in a different place now compared with this time last week because we've done these things
1: and that's what gets me yeah that's what gets me out of bed i i honestly i don't the thing is, I always thought that I was like money-driven, but it turns out I'm not at all. Like I don't care. I don't care at all about making a load of money. I care about growing something that's going to be the best it can be. <laughs> that's what gets me going. The money's going to be, a you know, always going to be a side a side thing. Which I I wouldn't have believed you if you'd have told me that when I was a teenager. You know what I mean? You don't. Re- you learn a lot about what really gets you going versus what you just think you know should I think is what it is probably
0: yeah and, and some of that learning is is kind of learning to listen to your feelings and noting down when there have been those successes or when you know the time just seems to have disappeared and how did I lose you know a few hours doing something and I don't know where the time went because you're so engrossed and it's those things that motivate you that you discover on this journey
1: don't you definitely yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm going to take you back to that teenager, and I'll just, I was thinking <laughs> about what moment, uh, and maybe it's the moment you you saw you just missed out on physics with your A levels by however many points it was. Uh, so if you were to give yourself that bit of advice at that point, what what do you think you'd you'd say to your younger self?
1: So I've heard you ask this question before, so I've thought about it a little bit, and he's going to laugh when he hears this but my dad always used to say to me like what you know when I'm studying for my exams or whatever GCSEs A-levels kind of thing you know if you you know the better you do now the harder you work the more options you'll have in the future and I was like you know whatever kind of didn't you know blew it off don't really want to listen to it when you're a kid but that that piece of advice if you could give it to somebody and they would actually listen to it (laughs) is probably the best piece of advice ever because it's not I've done all sorts of different things at, and none of them were really like planned or anything. Like it, it, I hadn't, from having education, having the experiences that I had over probably that decade between 18 and 28, or even going up till now, it's given me the options to do all sorts of different things um, that you wouldn't have been able to do if you, you know, hadn't, if you didn't have the sort of, background basis like foundation of of an education i think so he's gonna think that's funny but i always think about that
0: (laughs) it is good advice isn't it And and, and the other thing that it also tells you is that you always have options you know, yeah. you know, we were talking before about when you start your first job and you think that's, well, right, now that's it for the 40 years or something, but actually, <laughs> you know, keeping <laughs> options open and being prepared as you have to step outside that sort of comfort zone, yep. you know, allows you to explore new things, discover more about yourself, make a bigger impact in this world.
1: Yeah, for sure. Good it's been step- fun so far.
0: <laughs> and more to come too. <laughs> good look rob it's been really good to chat to you and catch up and you know we wish you all the very best with uh, fidelis engineering and the success and the impact and the difference that you're going to make so thanks for your time
1: yeah i appreciate it and hopefully uh, when covid's over i can come and say hi in person
0: if you've enjoyed this podcast To help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.